0: Hello, and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhau, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today, I'm talking with Opal co founder and director of exercise and sport programming at Opal, Kara Bazzi. And we're going to be talking about exercise avoidance. Kara, how- yes. <laughs> this is sort of a different angle on how we've talked about movement before and i've been actually really excited about this topic because i probably fall more in the category of avoidant tell us what what is your perspective on exercise avoidance
1: yes i'm also really excited to talk about this topic and maybe we can start with building some context for it okay. and so just thinking about how do we define exercise avoidance and I I would start by thinking about a more psychological avoidance of exercise, right? So there's some kind of battle going in someone's mind around part of them wanting to do or feeling like they have to do some type of exercise or movement and then having the battle of not doing it or not wanting to do it or somehow having kind of resistance and then inherent guilt or kind of emotional hit that that would take of having that battle. So we're not talking about exercise limitation or our body not being able to do particular things because of injury or
0: genetics genetics
1: (laughs) or all the variety of reasons. We're talking about more of a
0: psychological process here. Okay. Yeah. So considering the context around movement, it's actually a really normal thing to me personally to imagine why people are avoiding exercise. Like Mm -hmm. There's so much pressure out there to be a regular gym attendant (laughs) and athlete and, you know, Close your rings on your Apple Watch. Like that, that's the language around movement. It's yes. sort of an expectation that I know, at least for me, growing up in a school that required gym and mm-hmm. sports and whatnot, mm-hmm. that's the attitude. Yeah, you have there's to do it. So, a
1: lot of cultural pressure, I would say, about exercise and movement as it relates to health. There's also kind of the pressure component from a moral standpoint of it's quote-unquote better to be an athlete or be an exerciser or a mover. There's also just the reverence we have towards sports and athletes, right? That's cultural. You know, here we are in the Pacific Northwest too, and, and even culturally and regionally there can be additional pressure. So like here in Seattle, I think there is a pressure to be an avid outdoorsman or woman mm-hmm. <laughs> or person, mm-hmm. uh, right? The hiking culture There is a lot of pressures to be a particular way as a mover. And so I think that that can impact someone's relationship to movement psychologically when they're feeling those pressures.
0: Your language around that reminds me of food. Yes. Um. Good parallel to food. (laughs) right? Because as anyone that has listened to our podcast before can probably pull from this, there is a distrust maybe that we should have around what our actual appetite cues are based off of the different messages out there around what we should be eating and how we should be eating. So the more you're restricting something, the more you're going to want that thing. The more that you're told to eat something, the less you're going to want to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in this too, right? Psychologically. Yeah. Psychologically, if you're being told you have to be numero uno athlete out there, then yeah. you know, maybe you just want to watch Netflix, right?
1: It's very <laughs> difficult to build self awareness and have trust in yourself around relationship to movement, just like it is with food. I think that's because it's uh, an it's attunement a, process. Yep, it's an attunement process, and we're not encouraged to have that attunement process often. If you do identify as avoidant, and I also want to put the caveat that a lot of people can shift between. Being more compulsive with movement and swing to some more of times in their life that they're avoiding. It doesn't mean that you have to say kind of static in one category. So there can be a shifting. There also can be avoidance in particular modes of movement, and then some movement that you might be more compulsive in and do regularly, and then other types of modes of movement would be very scary and avoided. But a question to ask yourself is, what do you tell yourself about why you avoid movement? Because I think. Because of all this sort of pressure uh, and moralization of movement, there's often, a you know, a high self-criticism around avoiding and the notion that there's an association with being really lazy or unmotivated. And I don't know, what else What else would you say, Curter, of
0: like, what else would people fill in the blank often of what they tell Ooh, themselves? Around why they don't want to move mm-hmm. or why other people that they're looking at aren't moving, mm-hmm. the judgments that they <laughs> yeah. have. Those are the biggest ones that I would think of. Lazy, unmotivated. I'm not good sad. enough. Yeah. I think yeah. I've
1: heard that one from clients. I don't I don't feel good enough. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do it. I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to embarrass myself. Shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of
0: shame. Around not actually being enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, from my vantage point, I just feel like it's so unfortunate because oftentimes... That is what stops people from any kind of exploration process is all that shame or judgment. And then there's not the real decision making that could allow for somebody to try new things mm-hmm. that could lead to
0: actually a lot of pleasure. I was thinking about this quote. I don't know who said it, but I, I read it lately and I've been thinking about it in every context. This idea that you know, if you say that you're bad at something, but you're new at it, you can't actually be bad. No. You're new. No. And that seems to be sort of this role of perfectionism within avoidance. And maybe you would feel really like you're not good enough at something or not able or you don't have the fitness level to be able to do something. something. That might be something that winds up being true. Mm-hmm. You might not wind up super good at volleyball or, you know, lacrosse or whatever it is, but you also have never tried. And A, do you have to be great at it? Right. And B, You know, what if you actually let yourself just have the shot of enjoying it instead? Right. We actually just brought that topic into
1: our Rethinking Exercise and Sport Process group, this idea of avoidance as it relates to novelty and novelty we talk about it also at opal with radically open dialectical behavior therapy mouthful of words R O D B T. R O D B T. for sure um if you've listened to our podcast so you know what that is and mm-hmm. and so this idea that when you're more on the over-controlled side novel behavior is very uncomfortable right and so again another barrier to potentially starting something new as it relates to movement and and all of us relate to that i think it's very difficult to start something new and go through the learning process when we're not competent yet at something. I mean, anything we're engaging for the first time or for the first few times is hard. It's uh, effortful.
0: Yeah. I was talking with someone the other day when I was driving around Green Lake in Seattle. And for those of, of you that aren't in Seattle, Green Lake is like the hub, oh I would God. say. <laughs> yes. of a Particularly like kind of Seattle- active culture right running culture yeah tons of runners tons of people walking with their starbucks coffees and Mm -hmm. having walking dates i assume with their friends and Mm -hmm. crew teams and rollerbladers all sorts of things right Uh, it's a very active place and i was talking to someone about how i drive by all the time and genuinely wonder and maybe i will do this this would be a fun fun thing (laughs) to do but i want to ask everybody why are you here Right. Because as a as someone that does not run around Green Lake regularly, I feel genuinely curious if people are there because they are forced to by themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they feel like they, they should. feel like they should. Is this their one time every three months that mm-hmm. they actually move? Or do they do this every single day, twice a day? Is it are they so excited because this is their one break from their annoying roommates mm-hmm. today? Or are they trying to get time outdoors and yeah. be outside? Right. What's I'm, motivating people? I'm fascinated by this because mm-hmm. I I'm just, like, watching everybody, like, assuming maybe that everybody's just so excited to run. And I know it's more complicated than that. Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> it's so complicated. As I
1: would assume people, there are some people that are just so thrilled to be out there mm-hmm. and love moving their body in that way. And there are definitely people out there that I, I don't think are, right, like, mm-hmm. that are feeling the pressure, that are feeling, that have more of that, again, com- probably more of a compulsive mindset of, like, I have to do this. I mean, a lot of people that are moving are doing it from a body shaping perspective, whether that's to maintain a certain shape or they're trying to lose weight. And again, on the flip side, that could be a real reason people avoid movement is because they actually do have some of those compulsive underpinnings. But instead of that leading them to move, it's pulling them away from movement. So explain why that's compulsive too. When I say that I'm seeing the mindset towards the movement could be compulsive. So again, a compulsive mindset can have like eating disorder, psychopathology. So that is doing it for body shaping to change one's weight, to compensate for food being being eaten. That's pretty common. It could be for affect regulation. So that means this is the only way I can deal with my anxiety is to exercise or to move my body in this particular way. The third would be like a more obsessive compulsive mindset around it. Like I have to do it this time every day. And then the fourth one is perfectionism. So again, if somebody, they could have that mindset and as a result of that, not do it. Like if I can't do it every time at this particular time, it doesn't count and I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. So right, like either they're living into it or they could be. Avoiding it because they can't do it perfectly like that. So all in or all out. Yep. So it could be very black and white like that. And I think we've definitely seen people respond in both of those ways at OPAL where it's either leading them, again, towards the exercise or away from. I think the other piece that that just reminded me of is this whole idea of legitimizing exercise. I think that also makes us maybe disconnect from self-awareness because only certain amounts of exercise are deemed, quote-unquote, legitimate exercise. And it could make it really narrow and not that interesting, because it might just be, if I run, that's exercise. If I go to the gym, that's exercise, and nothing else counts. Walking doesn't count. Gardening doesn't count. Like, all these ways that we actually move our body in the world, like, people won't connect to that as moving their body. And So it, again, when I think of that, it just is like such
0: a narrow, narrow view. Yeah. So you just said gardening and Mm -hmm. I've heard you say that before. Yes. But I would imagine some people are like, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) Gardening counts as movement? Yes. And that makes me want to distinguish the word movement from exercise. And we use the the word movement quite a lot, I think, because it's more of an umbrella term for literally just moving your elbow Mm -hmm. around if you want to. but the benefit of moving would be the same?
1: So, great question. I think it, that's a a good entry point to just explain kind of the context that we're coming from at OPAL is that movement itself is our birthright. And so we are born to be in a body, which means moving in a body, right? And so I think that's one of the reasons why we use that word when we say movement, exercise, and sport, because I think a lot of times people use the word exercise in that kind of fashion of having something be more legitimized mm-hmm. and movement helps people, I think, psychologically broaden their perspective of what what moving one's body is and just poking at, does it count? You know, does activities of daily living count? And yes, that is part of being in one's body and moving our body and using our body one of the activities we bring into our teaching group around this is how much our bodies actually use energy to stay alive. And so yes, we are expending more energy the more intense that we're working the, the more intense movement, the more intense exercise. But that doesn't mean that these activities of daily living don't count. I think we've we've placed way more value on what that kind of higher intensity workout or exercise is around
0: what we're expending each day does that make sense yeah it definitely does it's way more of a legitimate thing like you said to think about sort of the categories of sport and exercise (laughs) rather than the things that are just about being alive and being in our bodies right When I use the phrase being in our bodies, that maybe as a therapist particularly resonates in a different way than even thinking about movement because Mm -hmm. my value system around different identity things for me personally has really almost never been in the category of exercise or sport. Mm -hmm. And I've done sports and exercise (laughs) forever, (laughs) but I've never found the sort of attachment to anything which is, you know, maybe complicated at certain times, but I have found attachment to painting. Painting at a desk is really different to me, actually, than painting standing up with my arms flailing all over the place because I'm making huge, broad movements. There's a a physical desire that I have sometimes for that. Yes. And I never actually thought of that in this category until right now because... It's a total form of movement.
1: Yeah. What I love about what you're describing, too, is like if we didn't have as much judgment about what exercise would be and we didn't we weren't drawn as much by shoulds like again what would we if we know ourselves well how would we be spending our time and how would we be moving our body with what we care about and love and you know i think some people really love intense competitive sports you know and are drawn to that way of moving and could also be drawn to other types of movement that's more gentle or calm. People are all over on the spectrum of what I call their appetite, mm-hmm. what, what their appetite is for movement. Again, if we're trying to mirror somebody else or feel like we should be mirroring somebody else, I think it just disrupts our own understanding of ourselves that we naturally would do it. I love the the image of thinking of you painting, standing up and using your arms. And to say that that's less than going for a walk around green-like
0: Yuck. I don't think it's less than. Yeah. And it's interesting. I I have sort of like two minds about it. I mean, that's I don't know if I would say you would judge it, but I would. Well, I would. I mean, I guess I kind of would. I wouldn't call that movement typically until this moment. I mean, it's a way that my body's moving and I get something from that. It's really different than sitting on the couch and feeling paralyzed and just wanting to watch Netflix and... Feeling like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, which I get there Mm. too sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I I like the idea of using the word appetite in this conversation because it reminds me of the explanation that I gave for the name of the podcast on a former episode where I described this essay by Kelsey Miller of Refinery29 where she talked about the difference between hunger and appetite. She talks about how appetite is a question to be answered with food. And so if we're talking about movement, there's a question to be answered with some sort of movement. Mm -hmm. And there are times for sure where I'm sitting there on the couch feeling like I don't know what I need. I don't know what to do. So I ask myself, you know, what do I need right now? Right. And I'm asking that from a social perspective, a spiritual perspective, a physical perspective, emotional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes the answer is, oh, I really need to paint or I really need to spend two hours cooking something elaborate because I love doing that sometimes or sometimes it's I n- really need to sweat. But I do think that for me, there's also a line where like I feel like the times that I like would maybe think that I need to actually be more disciplined in movement in the more traditional exercise sense. Th- those aren't th- I don't come to that answer very often. And yet it helps my body over and over and over again when I have discipline around mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so I mean, it's a yeah. (laughs) I
1: think that I think well, the thing that comes to my mind is like the accessibility of your choices, and I think again, if something is, and I don't know if how this totally would relate to what you're saying, but if something doesn't feel like a choice as much of a choice because there, it's it's now put kind of in the more novel category, I think that can be harder to have that be something accessible to oneself and that again could be from a place of knowing so maybe it's not always driven to do like to do movement for example based out of desire sometimes we need to have some kind of discipline like structure or continuity we know ourselves i don't know like it's like another le- level of knowing ourselves of sometimes it would be the I don't feel like doing this right now and I know what's going to come later if I do this so given all these choices, I'm still gonna go out and maybe do that that run or go for that walk because I know again I know even. I know intellectually yeah. yeah I know intellectually what will come of that from a feeling. So again, it's part of even in the decision making of having some of
0: that knowledge if that mm-hmm. makes sense mm-hmm. yeah, back to food it's like, you know, am I hungry right now? No, but am I about to get on a five-hour flight with limited exactly. options? Yes, so I'm exactly. going to eat some, a bigger meal right now anyway. Right. But even
1: to get to that point of having that kind of self-awareness and self-knowledge, if you've gone through a period of pretty strong avoidance, psychological avoidance with movement, like eating, you might have to start with a period of something more mechanical, more disciplined to even get the data on yourself to understand yourself better, to have like
0: more flow with decision-making. And I would suggest maybe even before mechanical stage of exploration or discipline or, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of all the different things that could come from that. I would say for a lot of people, I might encourage, I don't know what you Mm -hmm. would say, I'd love to hear, but um, I would encourage people to stop doing movement that has rules around it first mm-hmm. and see what happens mm-hmm. like if someone thinks that movement is only about going to the gym for an hour and a half every single morning at 6 a.m like try to lay off for a little while and see what comes to sort of take yourself out of the addiction of it mm.
1: is that crazy well it de- that, that one also <laughs> i think depends because i think depends on the level i think of compulsivity that okay. somebody has because If somebody is doing something, again, yeah, on the compulsive expression, typically... I've encouraged people to introduce different ways of moving or different ways of different needs getting met through movement mm. and have some frequency with that um, in order for that to have a little bit more of a strong, like a stronger place in their relationship to, to movement. And then the compulsivity usually sloughs off because the compulsivity is not fun. No, That often is just like the drill sergeant, right, of like pushing yourself and the, a lot of the shoulds. And so the anxiety that comes with pulling it Abruptly and completely can often sometimes derail someone
0: even more. Okay. That makes sense. I, maybe my example again comes from someone that me, yeah, <laughs> that is less compulsive. Yeah. But I would yeah. I would say that maybe my point was more around like if someone is feeling a lot of that avoidant pressure, yeah. like they're responding to compulsive thoughts about the way that they should move or judgments around the fact that they aren't moving. Maybe I would instead encourage Those people to take the idea off the table that they have to move. Yes. At all. Yes. Like that they get to decide. They always get to decide. They don't have to do it a particular way and see what happens Mm -hmm. when they can let themselves relearn a way of talking to themselves about movement Mm -hmm. and then see where that appetite shows up. Yep. And then in in terms of other practical
1: points, if you do relate to having a more avoidant relationship, like Carter's suggesting, maybe there would be a break for a period. And then when you get back into it, I think – this is where the kind of frequency map of just really becoming approaching it with curiosity, approaching it with m- multiple data points. you if you're just going to stay in a novelty stage with something, you're not going to benefit from the learning. So it would be having multiple data points, being able to try something for a little while to decide, is this something that you like that you're interested in. and i and I think to get creative with it because exploring, how you might have idealized particular ways of being moving um, and looking beyond that and seeing there's so many different creative options, especially now I feel like people have gotten really interesting (laughs) and creative with the way that we can be moving in the the world. And then I, I think another like practical encouragement would be to think about the needs that can be met through movement because that also can be another way of expanding your relationship, you know, if if you've historically done it for a more competitive desire to achieve, like what are other needs? Could it be social needs that are getting met through movement? Could it be spiritual needs getting met through movement? And kind of looking through that lens of is there an intersection between the way that you are in your body and kind of the need, the human needs that you carry? And that could also bring some other interesting ways of even doing it, right? Like inviting a friend along or... Going in the morning without any earbuds and being in the quiet
0: outside air, if that's more approach from a spiritual place. When you're describing that, it makes me, I think, want to clarify just one more time that there's no sort of moral imperative in moving. No. That even as maybe the, the topic of experimenting with it or trying new things is out on the table, that you don't have to move. No. I mean, you you will probably move some. Or right. <laughs> your body will naturally right. move, and that can count. But it's also not a moral thing to try and figure this out and figure out what your sport is or like what right. your, you know, what your thing is, and and make sure that you do that every single day.
1: It's helping you learn more about yourself. There's no particular outcome that you need to be trying to achieve in that.
0: In that, I think I'd also want to add some other categories of of exercise avoidance and why that happens or movement avoidance is just the difficulty it takes sometimes to be in your body period mm. whether that's actually because of the the stigma around the size of your body or the race of your body whether it's the trauma trauma yes exactly when you're in your body The likelihood of trauma being re-triggered is much higher than it is when you're dissociated and disconnected from your body. So Mm -hmm. plenty of people are avoiding anything that brings them into themselves in that way for really good reasons Mm -hmm. to keep themselves safe. Mm -hmm. I've mentioned before that my chronic pain is something that is always in the arena when I'm trying to think about movement. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't – that doesn't sound fun. Nope. There's Yeah, the the physical limitations. Yeah. I was actually – Listening to a lecture on pain this week was talking about how once we've experienced pain, some activities, some physical activities that could actually bring us pleasure again have – how do I put this? Like The actual neuropathways, the pain pathways have been so deeply treaded that when we start moving or taking steps to manage the pain or have a new experience in our body – Our body's so used to saying like, oh, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, that there's actually some benefit in figuring out where we can override those signals because there might be some new ways to experience ourselves, that that pain is actually more of a psychological experience that's happening to keep us safe rather than our bodies not being able anymore. Yes.
1: I'm glad you're naming all those categories because it also highlights the complication of this and all the things that can be challenging in pursuing movement or t- particular types of movement you know in in that way i love what we offer at opal because there's we have psychological support right there for people because of how hard that can be to face on your own
0: yes and to relearn a new way of thinking about it in right. a culture that's really deeply entrenched in a burn calories mm-hmm. mentality We'd be so curious to hear some of the things that either lead you to move or not to move. So if you would like, please reach out and let us know kind of how you think about this. Or if you have any more questions as well, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We love connecting about this stuff. So find us there. Find us also at opalfoodandbody.com to learn more about Opal in general. And thanks so much for listening today. Thanks also to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Hans Anderson for editing. Hope you join us next time.